Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. So today I am joined by a woman who I know is going to give you a dose of motivation and inspiration in abundance over the next hour. B. Katavu is a 23-year-old author, education activist, Oxford and Harvard University graduate, recipient of the Diana Award and founder of Empowered by B. It doesn't stop there. <laughs> she is currently working as One Young World's Global University Outreach Manager. She is the UN's Girl Up Zimbabwe ambassador and has the hope of becoming a policy advisor for girls' education in Zimbabwe. Final bit. <laughs> she is also a BBC Teach presenter, a TEDx speaker and LinkedIn changemaker. So as I'm sure you've gathered, she is an incredibly accomplished young woman and I am so excited for this conversation. So welcome, V. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I am good. No, it's my absolute pleasure. And I've just been absorbing all of this stuff about you over the last few days. I've been doing some research. So I listened to some podcasts that you spoke on. I've got your book, obviously. And it's just incredible how much you've achieved at such a young age. And I'm really, really excited to chat to you. I think the first thing that I'd love to ask you is, you know, that list is enormous. And there's so <laughs> many things that you have done uh, at only 23 years old. And I'd love to hear how how you found, I guess, I'm going to put it in quotation marks, but really success, um, how you're finding a kind of, I guess, a change in lifestyle and, and kind of, you know, having all this attention at, at only 23. Well, I mean... It's so strange because, like, when you're reading the stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> but when it was happening, like, I don't think about it as this is going to be something that's going to, like, you know, end up being spoken about or end up being a huge deal. I just think, oh, I'm just living my life. So it's not like mm. when it's happening, especially when I was going to university, like Oxford and Harvard, especially Oxford, for example, I was just going to school and I just thought yeah. I'm really enjoying this and I didn't like what I was seeing around me so I just began doing YouTube so it all just kind of fell into itself and none of it was planned or none of it mm -hmm. was oh my god this is gonna have a huge reaction like this is great stuff it was just me living my life so I think when I get the response that I get especially from other young people who are feeling inspired by you or they feel like they can go and do something different with their life from the things I've shared that is always very shocking. So I don't I don't I don't know how I how I deal with it. Well, I think I'm just really grateful and I feel motivated to just keep on living my life as myself because every time something happens, it always has this great effect on other people. So for me, I'm like, yes, yes. if I'm walking through one door and then like a hundred other people can follow, that is beyond anything I could ever ask for. So yeah, it feels yeah. weird. <laughs> 
And I think as well, just from the sounds of things and from having listened to a lot of, you know, the talking that you've done on other podcasts, it seems as though you always lead with passion, which I think means that life isn't a checklist thing for you. You're not like, these are the 10 things that I want to achieve. And once I've done them, then I'll have achieved greatness. You always lead with passion. And it sounds like everything that you embrace is sort of, oh, well, I've done that. And that was amazing. And actually this opportunity has presented itself to me. So I kind of want to explore that. It's not about I'm going to say it's not about ego necessarily. It's more you you lead with passion, and I think that that is truly what I find so inspiring about you. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> no, and I guess as well, like it's on the book, right? Like live your life with passion and purpose. I think when you're living it with passion, you're loving what you're doing, and then the purpose follows that like, you get to help other people. And I think that's probably one of the best places to be on, like that Venn diagram, right, where you get to do what you love, and what you love also gets to help people. So it's a it's a win-win either side and for me I think there's there's no point in pursuing the purpose if you don't have the passion for it because people can tell and I was talking to Ali Abdul on his podcast and he was just saying every time that he was like in the shower for example he just kept thinking about what he's doing online what he's doing on YouTube and he didn't want to be a doctor anymore and yes there was a purpose in it and that obviously he's saving lives and helping people but he was going to work miserable he just didn't even mm-hmm. enjoy it anymore and i said yeah you have to find that sweet point where you're living your life for you and making sure that your dreams are coming true and you're you're your biggest cheerleader but also that you can still give back to other people and if you can find the place where you can do both whoa you've yeah the jackpot (laughs) that's where the magic happens right yeah and i think you're so right in that we are moving into i think a time in society and in in our lives where people are really looking to find their purpose more than ever before you know when i think back to probably my parents generation for example it was you got a job you worked your way up you probably stayed in the same company for a lot longer than you did now uh you climbed the ranks if you were you know if you were lucky enough to do that and that was kind of it. And I think that we are a generation of people who are just sort of not settling now, not settling in a career and just saying, oh, this is it. This is me for the next 20 years. We are so much more ambitious and and willing to take, I think, more risks with our careers and, and with we want, what we want to do because we see that life is short and we need to be enjoying every moment of it. And it's not about go, getting up and going to work and doing that, you know, quote, quote unquote, rat race. And hating every moment of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm so proud of the generation that we are becoming. You know, we stand up for what's right. If we no mm-hmm. longer feel like something serves us, we just stop. People yeah. are, you know, thinking more about their food choices and what that implicates for the planet. People are thinking more about what they're shopping, who are they shopping from and what do they stand for? And we saw a lot of that happen with um, during Black Lives Matter where it was like, no, we're calling out our favourite companies and saying, show us who's on your board of execs like yeah. show us what your diversity stats are what are your commitments and i'm so proud to be part of that generation where if if it doesn't feel right inside then we show it on the outside and if your life is something that you are not happy with we're changing it now we're like okay well i want to go online and find my community you know i'm going to do that through fitness and helping people feel empowered and giving them strength you know yeah. or going and do that through education i love reading books so i'm going to go and create a channel about reading and i just think it's all so amazing because you're so right previous generations before us it was kind of this is the way it is this is how it's always been done and this is what you do and we're like no we're redefining what happiness looks like what success looks like and what excellence looks like. And I think that's why I'm so 
proud of the space and community that I'm in where I don't ever yeah. feel the pressure. Like I never feel pressure to to be a certain way. People just allow me to exist and exist loudly. And then they just draw inspiration from that within itself. So yeah, I'm proud of who our generation is and what we're becoming. I completely agree. And actually, I want to now take you back a little bit. You've spoken quite openly and really bravely about how the start of your life was 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 challenging in many ways. Um, and I wondered if you'd be comfortable to share, you know, how you um, how you started your life and how you ended up moving to the UK, if you, if that was okay. Yeah, of course. So I, I wrote about it in my book and I grew up in Zimbabwe, born and raised there, beautiful, beautiful country on the southern tip of the African continent and absolutely loves being Zimbabwe. And I think everybody hears me talk about it all the time. It's just such a peaceful, peaceful country and everybody's just so happy. You know, we just want to be happy kind and loving each other and um of course the history of many of the african countries is such a shame because they just needed a better start and they could have just been mm. god knows what but um yeah i grew up in zimbabwe and of course going off of that african history there was a lot of political instability a lot of um economic instability and my mom remembers even a time where people were taking like wheelbarrows of money because of hyperinflation to go and buy bread right so all of that kind of history behind it then implicates how it was when I was growing up there where a lot of girls did want to go to school but maybe sometimes couldn't because there's not enough money in the household so then um, they're not chosen as the ones to go so I grew up witnessing a few gender inequalities around me within my community but um, yeah when I was there my mom left after my father passed away and then my sister and I stayed in Zimbabwe waiting to see her again because I had to go over here and save money because like I said there was a lot of economic instability in Zimbabwe and then when I finally joined her again I was probably like six or seven I just didn't know her I just didn't know her and I had to get to know her again and start from being like excuse me madam like we ran out of soap and she's like I'm your mom like you can call me mom but obviously up until that point she hadn't been there for what three four years so we were living with different aunties and uncles and going back to the whole point of economic instability, nobody really had money. So you were just kind of hopping around every few months, depending on who could afford to have you that month. And then my sister and I were apart because you can't, who's taking on two kids at once? No one. So that was a lot. So when I came to the UK and finally got to know her again, I had to just relearn building trust and being like, oh, even if I misbehave here, I'm not going to like get kicked out, Tori, you know? So I had to just learn yeah. this unconditional love thing of, this is your mom and she's got you no matter what. And that was really difficult. But I, as I grew up and went, as I went to school, I was really appreciative of being in education because I'd seen what not having an education can do, right? I'd seen a lot of my young cousins like get married off young or I just knew the realities of it because it was so close to home. So I never took education for granted. And I think that kind of turned into what it is now where I'm hyper about education because I'm just... I saw the other side and I was like, nope, not going down that route. So I went the completely opposite. And yeah, yeah, here we are, here we are now and here we are today. I mean, it's an amazing story. And I think, you know, one of the things that I found quite heartbreaking reading was about how you and your sister were given orphan status, you know, when yeah. you were so young and, and sort of having that and, and, and like you said, having the disconnect from, from, you know, having your mom there must have been really challenging. And I wondered if, you know, you've spoken a little bit there about how education became your solace. It became your escapism. It became the thing that you then lent on. And I wondered if that was the point when you really started to love 
to learn you know like not all of us are blessed with this love to kind of expand our mindsets and to learn like there are some people for whom that's incredibly challenging um myself I enjoyed school I was never that excellent but I was never that terrible either but I think for you it just seems like you have this capacity to just absorb and and kind of take in information and, and love that process which I think is amazing and I was wondering if if maybe your early trauma was what kind of led you to find that escapism in books, in learning. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I definitely see where the connection is. And if if I was a therapist, I would be like, it's so clear. <laughs> okay, here you go. No one needs to pay money. We've sorted it. Like, it's so clear. But yeah, definitely. Like, I found books as like my friends. So when I moved to the UK to begin with, I just, I, I knew English a little bit, but I was still speaking in my mother tongue in Shona, the Zimbabwe language. So making friends was sometimes a bit tricky. Like I'd say something, I'm like, what's the English translation? I just couldn't get it out. So then I found myself going to the library a lot when I was younger and the books became my friends. And then I like cleared out the library, like read everything in there. And that taught me English as well. Like that made me learn English really, really quickly. And then I'd go home and ask my mom to buy me more books. And during the summer holidays, I have such a vivid, clear, memory of like my mom be like you need to go outside and I went outside and I like snuck a book outside with me and I was reading like the thick Jacqueline Wilson books right like it wasn't I tried the small ones they were cute but then I started to read the thicker ones and I was outside being like I wish these kids could quieten down so I could really like concentrate on what's happening here (laughs) so I've just always had my head in a book and I just found peace in them especially when like the racism or like the bullying was going on I was thought, okay, real friends are not, they're not what they're cracked out to be. Like everyone says it's great, but kids just mean. So then I found friends in books that were never going to be mean, right? So I think that's where it came from. I'd start to write my own stories when really? the books became too expensive for a to buy it. I just start writing my own. And, and I guess I can see a lot of that in me today. But yeah, it began because I just found peace and friendship in them. Yeah, and I can totally relate to that I think sometimes even now when your mind is so chaotic and the world can be feel very chaotic there's yep. nothing better than sometimes just sitting down with a good book and, and and feeling that sense of escapism and it's definitely something that I lean on as like a coping mechanism at times yep. um, what was your favorite book growing up oh my gosh I loved like I said the Jacqueline Wilson books I cleared them out and I think we <laughs> And Enid Blyth or Enid, I, I've forgotten the name of the author. He's Enid Blyth and yeah. Yes, and she used to yeah. know about like the fairy stories and she had like yeah. a different book for each fairy and their magical adventure, whatever. I, if in our garage right now, I'm sure we had every copy of each of these authors' books. And I loved reading things. I grew up like Noughts and Crosses, Mallory Blackman wrote amazing books for um, young people and I was just, it was the thing, I used to get in trouble for this. Like my teachers would literally be like, she's reading at grades way above her, like yeah. age. Cause they were getting frustrated. Like, okay, the class is still reading this. V's yeah. in year two or year three or something. And she's starting to go and read books for year four, year five. And yeah, and my mom obviously would be like, go to bed. And I'm like, yeah, take a little flashlight and under the covers. And obviously I'm now tired at school because I stayed up all night reading. So. It was something that got me in trouble, but also something that kept me at peace. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I know that um, you've spoken a lot and you just mentioned her there, your mom. Um, through a lot of your writing, through some of the things that I've listened to, she has this kind of amazing you know, presence in your life. And I think it's so incredible to hear about the relationship that you've, that you've really worked hard to create with her. Um, 
Can you talk to me about, I guess, the importance of her support? It seems like, and and in some ways I can definitely relate to this because my mum's been the same. You know, I've definitely made some weird decisions in my <laughs> life that I don't think my parents were like, Alice, is that the right decision? But I wanted to do it. And it was always my mum who sort of had my back and just said, yeah. if it's going to make you happy, just go with it. And it sounds like you had a very similar experience to that. Can you talk a little bit more about about her role in your life and her support? Yeah, no, like we definitely had to work at that. Like I said, when I was in Zimbabwe, I just didn't know her. Like I just didn't have a clue. Like they'd give me the phone and say, like you're talking to mom. No idea who this woman is. And we spoke so infrequently that I, I just, it could have been anyone on the phone each week. And I'd be like, okay, that's my mom. So when I came to the UK, I think we really had to work hard at building that relationship from going from calling her madam and being like so formal to now being super free and loose and we have the same birthday so I think that is something that um, really bothered us like we were like oh my god we're twins and that fascinated me so much it just didn't make sense to me I didn't understand dates like okay she can be born on the same day in a different year I kept thinking like am I twins or my mom so I think that was the first moment of bonding of us being like we're birthday twins and then um yeah we just She's just worked so hard at spending a lot of time with us and fixing that because that's a big gap. Like, well, I, yeah. I meet you at seven years old, like, because I don't yeah. remember being born and being two. So I meet you at seven. Like, we really have to build that relationship. And then once again, like with the books where in education where I saw what not having it was like, I was now super attached to it. So I remember not having a mom and being like, and everyone else got one. I wish I had one. So when I finally got one, I was like, okay, we're going to town with this, like match mm. outfits, go with her everywhere. Like we still do that now. Like we still do cute matching outfits sometimes. And yeah, she's just she's just really great. Like she's one of those parents that just says, What do you want to do? And then how can I support it? And she just lets you fly. And um, I really appreciate her parenting style because it's just I don't know, you just you just don't feel scared to do anything or feel a lack of confidence because you know someone's your number one cheerleader like she's always the first in my instagram comments she looks through the youtube stuff like she's in tune with everything and i just i don't know i just i think that's really really amazing of her and of course she she had to make up for lost time as well so maybe she like had this huge uproar of love to make up for that and then we finally stabilized and now we're in a space of like no one's scared of losing the other we're like okay yeah this is a forever thing we can chill yeah <laughs> i mean she sounds incredible and she definitely does feature sometimes on your on your instagram i've seen her pop up a few times and it's always like you know um i remember seeing your photos from your graduation and you said somewhere i think about you know you guys celebrate everything in the biggest way because why not you know you have to and life is short and we have to celebrate our small wins and our big wins yeah um and i think that like seeing that was so special and 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 that moment i guess for her was was just incredible yeah no um She's always saying this to me, like recently, like literally last week, I applied to do a PhD. I just I didn't get in, right? And I was so sad. I was like, man, I really wanted to do this. I was so ready to move to York. And I was so sad and I posted about it on Instagram like three days ago. Mm-hmm. And of course, the community was so, so lovely. And um, I texted my mom on the day because I just do that. I apply for stuff and then I tell her after. I don't know why. <laughs> so I text her like, by the way, I didn't get into NYU. She's like, oh, that's okay. I was already happy. Like, Honestly, since like 2017, I've been chill. Like you don't have to do anything else. You could just sit on the couch for the rest of your life and he's maybe the happiest one on earth. So she's there's nothing that like phases her. She has no expectation of like, you must do this, you must do that. She's she's just happy as long as I'm living 
for me and I'm living my life happy she's happy so yeah I just I don't know I don't remember seeing her angry or it's just weird she's just so happy all the time basically we all love her she's amazing (laughs) and I know that like obviously she as you said she's always done the best for you guys and she's always tried to make your life you know a happy one but there were definitely times from what I read I actually there was a Sunday Times article um where you wrote about your experience of working in McDonald's which Mm. you know is a great opportunity and one of the things that really stuck with me was you saying that it was you know that experience taught you some of your most valuable life lessons yeah um I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that yeah definitely like working at McDonald's and things like that and of course like I said my mom was great she's fantastic but she definitely had to always be at work because she she had to make ends meet like to support her two children as a single parent and also she was trying to go through school herself to do finish up her training for nursing so there was a lot like she had to work a lot of the times and we if I needed stuff I needed to go and make sure I'm working for it because she just didn't have the spare money to be like here you go to find the things that you need so my sister and I definitely learned from an early age that if you want something you have to like go work for it and I worked at McDonald's through my A-levels which was fine like it was fine but tricky because of course like majority of your friends are just going to to school to college rather and then they go home like sleep study and come back the next day but I would literally rush out of college get on the bus and go and like do a shift after being at school go back sleep wake up in the morning do a quick shift it was always like interchanging like that and that was really tricky but I learned so much from being there learned so much about time management and learned so much about how to deal with people how to deal with being under pressure how to all of that stuff I learned from McDonald's because you just you have to pick up the lessons where you can get them and my mom was always at work like either in the night shifts or a nurse is just a demanding job so she'd spend time with us on the weekends but during the week she's at work all the time so I feel like McDonald's also kind of helped raise me in a way which is so strange but when you deal with angry customers or you have to think on your feet or you have to just everything it taught me so yeah I really appreciate my time there it also helped me see like what I really wanted because the fact that during my breaks I would be reading and studying and things like that was just I thought why like if you're at work just be at work if you're at school be at school but the two worlds had to combine because I needed money to be able to get a bus pass or to pay my phone bill but I also needed education to to chase my dreams so it was a it was a strange time people would definitely look at me strange at the McDonald's um, staff room, like reading Hamlet while I'm on my break. Like, what do you do? What's going on here? But um, yeah. It's one of those things that I think um, you read a sentence about someone and you're just like, wow, like there is adversity and there's, you know, overcoming it in abundance. And, you know, like that's some pretty tough shit to go through. Yeah. <laughs> Being totally honest, you know, like juggling those things. I remember my A, a levels and just feeling so overwhelmed with the workload. Uh, and having to then throw into that, you know, I was working on weekends, but I would never have things during the day. And I think that I would have found that incredibly challenging. And I think for you to come out of that with the grades that you did, with the kind of tenacity to then, uh, in some ways, then go on to Oxford, although we'll talk about the route to that, <laughs> I think is, is just incredible. Um, and actually, that's, that is where I wanted to go next. You know, you've spoken about your route to Oxford. First of all, you said you always wanted to go to Oxford, which I think is amazing. But the route to that point wasn't necessarily a conventional one. Um, Can you talk about some of, I guess, a a lot of the prejudices that you had to overcome 
um, both from in your school and I guess from the wider society to to get to that point? Yeah, I always dreamed about going there just because I don't know. I just thought, why not? Like I just didn't understand. I understood my my position like within society, but I never saw it as a barrier to myself because I think I maybe had some naivety then because no one had ever said it out loud of like, oh, you can and can't do this because of this. It was just, I guess, once you're in those spaces, you realize, oh, I'm one of few. But up until that point, and I guess my mom was very supportive. If I said I want to go to this sixth form, she's like, okay, I'll I'll go with you to the open day or I want to work at McDonald's. So, okay, like there was never a thing of no one, anyone telling me, no, you can't. Yeah. Maybe money would say you can't, but no one said, no, you can't. So when I thought of Oxford, it just felt so matter of fact, like, okay, so now how do we, how do we get there? Um, but it wasn't until like I approached my school, my, my college, I always call university school. And then when it's time to talk about <laughs> actual school, I'm like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> but um, when I call it in my sixth form, rather, I approached them and they were just like, we just haven't had an Oxbridge student before. So it was tricky for them. And I always say this, I understand it from a resources point of view. Why would you have a class of like 25 students and instead of running one personal statement class, now have to run two, one for one person, me, and then one for the rest. Like, of course, you're just going to focus on the 25. So I understand, I understand it now, but then it was so frustrating. Like, why can't you just support me in this? Because I know I can do it. So I didn't apply. And then the following year, I had an email about the foundation year, which was the scheme being run by Oxford for the first time and Cambridge in its history. And um, they were just taking students from underrepresented backgrounds lower socioeconomic backgrounds who needed the support and like an extra year to come in, get up to speed before like applying for the real course. And I was like, yeah, this is happening. I, I shouldn't have missed the deadline last year because of not feeling supported. So this year I'm going to be my own cheerleader. I applied, um, got in, which blew my brain cells. I was like, what? And they only took 10 people like out of the country, which shocked me. I was like, what is going on? I got there, there were 10 of us and we had to spend the year just kind of like fighting for a place there because you arrived in September and then by October you're already reapplying you know um so I spent the whole year just being on that constant test constant trials by Oxford University which was not easy in the slightest and then out of the 10 of us only seven of us got to carry on which is bizarre because you've been there for a year you know the tutors you know everybody you made family there then they had to tell you no and you had to let you and everybody's already saying you're Oxford and because it was the first of its kind, this program, no one understood it. They just thought, well, you've gotten in, you're there till you graduate, right? It's like, no, like I still need to get in again. So it was really, yeah. really hard for the people that didn't make it because their family and friends were like, oh, they're going to Oxford. And now it's like, nope, gonna reapply to somewhere else now. And I was yeah. so, it was, ah, oh, it was so, I was so sure if I had an Apple Watch back then, my heart rate would have constantly been <laughs> in the hundred. I'm, honestly, I'm positive. <laughs> but um, yeah, then I got in the regular way. And then my journey there began, but it was it was so hard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine how that must feel, particularly you're going in and you're amongst freshers who are like, I'm in, I can chill, I can go out and party. Yeah. And you're suddenly there like, well, I'm kind of in, but I'm kind of not. I can't really party because, oh my God, what if I do? And then I can't actually get the grades or whatever to, to keep myself here. Like that state of limbo must have been so difficult. Oh, it was the worst, like the worst. And you're absolutely right. Like there was... There was this extra thing on you because you're just like, I'm being watched. 
constantly because you you start to think like anything I would do could like jeopardize my place here and yeah, yeah it's fully funded right so it's not even it's, it's somebody else's money that you're that you're on and it really was because at that time Oxford as a wider university hadn't yet fully enrolled it they were like we're gonna let one college do it Lady Margaret Hall and if it's a success then we'll take it on in four years time we'll see how they graduate and if they do well then we'll roll it out and fully fund it. So okay. up until that point, it was just my principal's friends funding it. So you're literally like, there are these people who've spent their money on me and then I'm here, I need to do all of my friends and family are like waiting to know what's going to happen. And it was just mm. mayhem. A lot of pressure. A lot yeah, of pressure. Yeah. And you couldn't, you could, like you said, you couldn't be doing what your friends were doing. And I didn't even have a channel at that point. Like I did not start YouTube until the following year when I was like, I can breathe and like, I know that I'm here now you know mm. yeah definitely you've spoken a little bit about I mean I guess there's still a huge disparity in terms of how many state school kids get into Oxbridge and how many private school kids get into Oxbridge uh, and also the environment that is then fostered there is one of complete inequality I guess um, there are some who have a lot and whose pathway to that place has probably been a lot easier than others yeah. um, and you described that process and, and why it's so important to have I guess, a greater understanding of the people that are applying and the biases that might be a attached to the people that are letting those people in. Um, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about how you would see that playing field being leveled out a bit. Yeah, no, there's there's a huge disparity. And it's, it's, it's I think people care and people are, because there's this argument of, well, if you don't like how they do it, then just stop going there, right? There's this argument that exists. And I'm like, no, it's different because if you're gonna like claim yourself to be one of the best institutions in the world, then this is a globally known space and you are the people that are producing and churning out our prime ministers year after year, like term after term, if you look at the history, there's even barely any Cambridge prime ministers, it's mainly Oxford, right? Like you are the place that is creating the people that go on to lead the country that go on to do this and this. Like, of course you have to open the doors. Like you. You're sending a message that intelligence has a race, that it has a skin color, that it has a postcode, that it has an accent, and it just doesn't. Like anybody who's passionate about what they're doing should be able to sit at that table if they love learning, they they want to be there. Like, why can't you open your doors? And their yeah. argument is, oh well, if we open the doors, like we're dumbing down Oxford. And it just it really stresses me out. And I had Oxford professors tell me that when I was there, like this is why we're not supporting foundation year yet because mm. it's dumb and things down and it's like how do you understand that academic talent like there's so much that goes into assessing what that looks like you can't bring like an elephant to a swimming race and then be like the elephant's ridiculous because put the fish in the jungle it's gonna die you know what i mean yeah. the elephant in the pool of course it's gonna die like you okay. need to find different ways of assessing people's strengths like you can't just base it on these admissions tests which kids who go to certain schools like certain private schools have been trained for since the age of like 14 15 then you have people in a school like mine where the teachers are like we can't even run a separate personal statement session for you let alone a training session or the admissions test like how are we even on par like how can you even assess mm -hmm. us in the same way when it comes down to that test or that interview so for me i think it's about these schools and these institutions starting to recognize that talent ability and intelligence look different in different ways and that they need to start contextualizing things right start asking the questions and i always use this example because it's the only way that i can i can put it in its clearest form it's like 
if in my school there's 25 of us in the classroom and I had an A last year and the person sitting next to me has an E, tell me what grade the teacher can teach at. They can only teach at B grade or even C grade because they need the whole class to understand. Like they cannot stand there teaching A star level content to someone who got an E. And you cannot okay. sit there obviously teaching E content to someone who got an A. They okay. they can't even do that. I had no chance of getting the A star. Whereas if you're in a school with five of you, you got one teacher who's been to Oxbridge, your father knows admissions too. Like there is so much at play. It's just more level. So all I'm saying is start contextualizing, start taking it into account that when that student walks in to that interview, because the interview is the biggest part of getting into Oxford, right? When they walk in and they can't make eye contact with you, when they're fidgety and they can't even answer your question properly, maybe let's consider that this is very intimidating for them. They've yeah. taken from a class where the teacher barely even knows their name to now someone looking them dead in the eye, asking them questions. Like, is unfamiliar territory. Let's start thinking, is an elephant going to do out in the ocean? Is it yeah. going to do out in the desert? Yeah. And does that mean, and both animals are still valuable. Both animals can still contribute. Both animals can be Oxford. But let's start understanding their background, where they've came from, what walk of life. That's it. That's all I'm asking for. We'll be back after this. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. But you know, like it's it's crazy, isn't it? Because on paper, I'm guessing that they're going to tell you, oh, the reason is because they're just not getting the grades, right? But there is so much more that I'm sure you and I both know contributes to that that gatekeeping of knowledge, that gatekeeping of privilege um, and of that environment. You know, like it's not just, I'm imagining, I, I did not go to Oxford, but <laughs> it's not just the grades that set you apart from other people. It's the status and the person that is going there, right? Like Oxford, like you said, they have a certain level of output of a person that they think would come from that. And until you start to change what that looks like, and until you start to, I guess, understand that exactly as you said, education doesn't look a certain way. It doesn't have a kind of binary mold that we should all fit into. It should actually be incredibly diverse because that's how we get people that, I guess, think differently. You know, I always reference that book by Matthew Syed, Bounce, about diversity of thought is the most important way to create, you know, Im you know, important decisions. If you look at like the board of the FA, for example, they've got people in there that are um, from the army, from the police force, from all different places, because actually, if we all have people that think the same way and do the same thing, how are we ever going to progress? Like everyone's just going to be singing from the same hymn sheet. And I think that it's so hard. I think sometimes when I when I was reading your when I was reading your experience, I felt so much sadness for I guess the experience that you had because you almost have to be the guinea pig in that sense. You're you're one of the first and yeah. and that's really challenging for you to go through. Yeah, no, it totally is because 
you're very aware that there is there are people who are coming after you and it wasn't them just saying it like them just saying oh by the way like depending on how these guys graduate these seven people uh, will then decide if we're going to roll this out to like 32 colleges within Oxford like that's a huge thing on your shoulders because you know that this has like benefited you and this has helped you and now you want it to help other people and it's only you like I said there's no going out of freshers week because you know what's at stake and the fact that now four or five years later since that foundation year happened 2016 yeah Cambridge have now rolled it out because they assess like what the seven of us went on to do like David bless his heart he's a musician he went and got like a first class from Oxford and now he's like composing music for music and films and things like this he's doing amazingly well obviously after Oxford I went on to Harvard and wrote a book and so then looking at like oh my gosh maybe they were onto something here so Cambridge have rolled it out university-wide and other places are going to start and it just blows my mind that that all began from us just coming in and having to work so hard to prove ourselves and I'm glad because people at Cambridge are telling me like this is the most amazing scheme we're so glad it's been rolled out but if we'd done terribly that wouldn't have been the case like it wouldn't have got the funding it wouldn't have got the backing Oxford wouldn't have taken it all and it's just bizarre that we actually went in and made history so yeah that that blows my mind and look at how amazing you did despite that adversity <laughs> imagine if it was an amazing experience yeah, like despite that look at how well you've done it's incredible that's what i mean i just think how can how how can someone say that you're dumbing down the institution where now the people that have been there like michael is a genius what are they called the foundation yeah mathematician so so smart like all of us have just gone on to just be doing so cool such cool things and to me i'm like uh, you would have turned us away like ordinarily yeah. a person like myself would have been turned away from oxford but actually i went in there and i and i performed and i i outperformed some people I'm not gonna lie yeah. about it you know but i just think <laughs> that how 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 were you able to measure that beforehand if you had yeah. actually given the chance and of course i get it like there has to be something that you're gonna say you can't just be like anybody everybody like even if you've got like the e and you hate learning and you hate studying and you hate reading like just yeah. want to take up the space right yeah. Yeah, obviously but i think there's a way understanding that my b grade is equal to that a star of how do you do that you start to factor in all these different things like oh they maybe didn't have a teacher they taught themselves this content and they've still got that grade if the student over there who has the amazing um, life the money and is a cast of four people if you put them in this context if they would have gotten a B as well, then maybe let's start looking at this B as something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. just what I want. You've spoken a lot, and I and I mentioned in the introduction how many things you've achieved in, in just 23 years. I mean, it really is incredible. And you talk about a lot of your wins and your successes on social media, but you're also not afraid to share the challenging times, the times that are, I guess, less than happy. Uh, for example, you did share this week and I saw about you not getting accepted for your PhD, which I'm really sorry about. And that must have been really frustrating. But I wondered if you could talk about some of your more challenging moments and how you find yourself overcoming those. What are the things that you tend to lean on for support or what are the kind of coping mechanisms that you have yeah no like but that was so so hard because i put so much in like i i really wanted to go you know when it's beyond just like the fact of that i'm going to be going back to study but it was more about this new life this new moment of like living in new york i had pictured it like you know i really and the fact that in the space of like one email that whole thing just disappears 
that I think that's what was hard. It was months and months of building up this like idea and thinking about, oh my God, what kind of friends would I have? And then one email, it's like, it disappears. That version of it, of course, I could still move to New York. Of course, I can, I can reapply to schools, but that version of it, gone. And it was like, oh man. And I think it's also knowing, because I know myself, I always knew that I was going to talk about NYU and, and whether I got in or didn't get in. So it was also that moment knowing like, okay, and now I'm about to share it with some other people. So it's, it's not mm-hmm. even about taking the rejection to yourself. It's like, yes, you can share it. And I know my community is amazing. Like I knew that 98% are going to be like, oh my God, B, come on, dust yourself off. Like you got this, it's cool. But there's always that 2% in the back of your mind like, hey, I need to not embrace myself to hear opinions that I didn't necessarily want to hear, yeah. you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I knew that my friends and family were going to be supportive. Like I, that, there was no doubt in my mind. They were going to tell me like, bro, we didn't even expect you to be going to do a PhD like it's it doesn't even matter but um yeah and in moments like that like obviously there's things that can happen that are worse and in moments when those kinds of things happen I just I allow myself to be in it like I just let myself feel it I I'm a firm believer that we are multifaceted human beings who experience a multitude of emotions and allow that to happen of course I'm happier most of the time like 80% of the time I really do just walk around with a smile on my face but the 20% of the time there are other emotions that I want to feel like anger sadness express it that is that is what they're there for so when those moments happen I allow myself to just type in tap into whatever I'm feeling and this week or last week I was feeling sad I just wanted to cry about it for two days be off the internet just watch sad movies and just think about the fact that I've just lost this thing I really wanted, you know? And my friends and family allow me to do that. They they give me space. They don't bring in the motivational speeches yet. I'm like, nope, but it's not the time. <laughs> yeah. Let's be sad and let's hate NYU. And then obviously I don't hate NYU at all. They have to make decisions that I understand. So yeah, I think that's what I do. I, I allow the people around me to just carry me that moment and to lean on them and just stop having right. to... You don't always have to be brave. You don't always have to be like, okay. And there doesn't always have to be a plan. Sometimes people are like, oh, it's okay because I know I want to do this. Sometimes you have no idea. You don't know what's coming next and you're just sad and it's okay. Let it let it happen, but don't let it become you. That's where I'm like, okay, don't now walk around calling yourself a reject. Like, no, NYU read an application and for this cohort, they were looking for something else and it just didn't happen to be what your application said. It's not a uh, rejection of the you in your life. If you're the worst. And no, like I've never say any of those things about myself. And I think it's having that balance of understanding. This didn't work out and I'm sad about it because I put a lot into it, but it's not, it's going to determine the rest of my life. And I'm not this thing. I'm not a rejection. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. define you, right? Like no, not n- nothing all. in our life, I think really defines us. And I think, Unfortunately, I feel like social media sometimes uh, can make us think that we are defined by certain things. We are defined by our successes and we are defined by our failures because we share it so openly with the world. But I think that you're absolutely right that, you know, I've made many, many mistakes and had many failures in my time. And actually, it's more those that I probably learn from and grow from than the successes that I've had. And you know, the more we reframe our mindset, you know, if you, uh, for example, you know, I'm sure when you speak to a lot of the people that you work with through your Empowered by V workshops and, and um, teaching, I'm sure that those people don't get in the first time or they don't get the first course that they want or whatever yeah. it is that they're going for. But actually in teaching and I think in showing for you, for example, 
not everything goes my way. You know, not every time I get in or not every time I get the best grade. Yeah. You know, that is actually really powerful in itself. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, from the moment I began the process, I knew no matter what the outcome was, I was going to share it. Like, that was something I was committed to doing because I just don't want anybody to feel as though life is going to always be picture perfect. And it's, it's a hard balance to strike because you cannot have a camera on recording your everyday mood for 24 hours because number one, no one's going to watch that. Like, it would imagine every single hour of your life you give like a 30 minute Instagram live. People are going to be like, we're not watching this. Like, what the heck? Yeah. But also, people forget that when you're posting something, it is a snapshot of what the 24 hours have been or like even when I'm writing the post about how I felt about getting in that's now after three days of thinking having me to the spa and now it's like reflected upon and I'm writing it like if we were sharing everything in its worst form everything in it it's just it's not it's just not gonna happen so I think I always try to let people know by the way understand that you've only seen a clip of this like 15 minute vlog does not share my entire life. So don't ever base yours off of mine. Don't ever like just yeah. think I want exactly what V has because if only you knew every single step of getting to that point, like do it in your own way and do it how you're comfortable. So people were like, what if V didn't get into NYU then? We've all got no chance. I'm like, no, that's not true. Yeah. Like maybe my strengths for what a master's application looks like is not for what a PhD application looks like. That's more research focused. This is more what you want to do, like what are you aspiring for? And that fits my vibe, but maybe NYU mm. had a different, and you could have the amazing research skills. Like don't be like, because we didn't get it, now we're not going to get it. I literally had to keep on responding to this comments. Like, no, that is yeah. not what this post was about. Like it's just showing yeah. you. I also have my moments of failure, but I love them because I learn from them. So completely. Yeah. Completely. Now, um, there is someone or there are a number of people in your life, sorry, yeah. who are incredible connections that you've made, I guess, through the path that you've found. Um, and I wondered if, you know, for example, Michelle Obama, which you have an amazing photo with her on, on your Instagram. But I'd love to know who you turn to for inspiration and, and for advice. Who are the people that you sort of look up to and say, they help to guide me, apart from your mum, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like my family and friends I think my friends are a huge huge part of my life like for example Josh who I've everyone loves Josh and they think me and Josh are together we're absolutely not I just want to clear that up we're just really, <laughs> exclusive <honestly, laughs> it's like freshers week every time I post him everyone's like oh my god like they're secretly in love I'm like no this is just what a healthy friendship looks like and I just need you know what I understand I have the same because my best friend, he's he's gay, but he yeah. is amazing. But the amount of times I get people messaging saying, is your boyfriend that person or that person? Because I have a male best friend. I think people, it still blows people's mind in, in 2022. But anyway. It blows people's mind all the time. But um, we met in Freshers Week when I was on my foundation year. He was such a huge support. Like he just didn't treat me differently. He just didn't like, he just let me be me and he supported me. And since then we've been joined at the hip and, People like that really inspire me because Josh has just been through so much, but he just always finds a way of like making things work. He sees the brighter side of life. He literally is the male version of me. And even when I'm writing my book, for example, I'll take ideas to him. And I, I say this time, my friends, I'll take ideas to them. And they'll just times them by 10 or they'll see, they just push me on and on and on. And they really inspire me. And of course you have the likes of Michelle Obama and 
and Oprah and all these amazing, incredible black women who are living their lives as them, whether it's in literature, whether it's in fashion, whether it's in politics, whatever. I love that they're just existing and being. And it's just something that a lot of black women don't get to be. You're always told like, you have to be strong. Black women say, no, what if I'm not strong? What if I'm fragile? I want to be soft. Like I'm a, I'm a multifaceted person. I can be a lot of things. And I love looking up to women like Mrs. Michelle because she's just so open and vulnerable reading her book and Oprah's journey and things like that like they motivate me to carry on because I draw so much strength from their stories I want to help someone else draw strength from mine so people like that I just think whoa you're yeah. just I don't know you're just amazing and yeah I just love Michelle me too <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to move on to finding purpose like when I when I first knew that I was going to be able to interview you on this podcast um I had this idea in my head that this episode would really center around strength in purpose and obviously I went off to read about you and, and discovered there was so much more I wanted to talk about but but it was really about strength in purpose and, and that's something that your book really focuses on um you know finding your purpose in life and like we said earlier in this conversation a lot of people now are recognizing the importance of having a thing having a purpose having a love in life having kind of something that is their thing and that they yeah. love and I wondered if you could give some advice in terms of how one might go about finding their purpose obviously it's something you wrote about in your book yeah. and if you could kind of distill it down into I guess a, sm a small and short answer um how does someone find their purpose yeah so for me, like, I loved writing about that because it's just a question I get asked a lot. Like, how did you know so clearly what you wanted to be doing? And mine is is fed from a lot of my experiences, right? Like, growing up and seeing about education and stuff like that, I always knew this is something I want to pursue. And it just made me feel alive. Like, it was something I thought about a lot. And I think about girls around the world all the time just thinking, my gosh, the things you have to go through just because you're female and you want to learn, it really, really breaks my heart. And I'm always thinking about solutions around it and if I hear a conversation happening about it if there's a chance to listen to a podcast or if I can choose a book like it's always I always find myself drawn back to that thing and I just I started to tell people how I found my purpose and if in what how I find mine they could find theirs and that was thinking about the thing that I just always wanted to be doing like what keeps me going back to the same conversation and I spoke to Ali about that when I said in his hey. podcast I said to him even if Someone's working at JP Morgan and they like are at their job and they, they're not really enjoying it. What are they doing when they get home? Like in your spare time, like when you have a second or if you're given a chance to choose anything, what do you keep on going back to, you know? And what's that thing that if someone asks you, I hate when people ask me, like, what do you do? Like when you meet them for the first time, I'm like, ask me what keeps me busy. Ask me what's keeping me excited right now. Like sometimes people are doing things that they don't necessarily love. So when you meet someone and you go to them, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a doctor right now. And if they don't, if they hate being a doctor now, you've just like, you're bringing up something that they hate, right? Yeah. Whereas if you say to someone like Ali, oh my God, like what's keeping you busy? And he's like, oh, actually I'm running the part-time YouTuber Academy right now. Do you see the spark light up in their eyes, right? So I think it's sitting up and asking yourself like, what, what, what do you enjoy? Like, like what's keeping you busy? Like, what do you want to be doing right now? And that thing starts to creep up and you start to see a train of like, connections like okay i keep talking about social media keep talking about helping people oh my gosh like why don't i try sounding like empowered by v or something like you'll see how that yeah. goes and then i don't know you just start to get into this rabbit hole and you start to see essences of what your purpose is and sometimes your purpose isn't always going to be the thing that pays you your purpose is yeah. always going to be the thing you know like it's distinguishing between passion purpose job and like we said if you can get it all into one 
you've hit the jackpot. But your 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 purpose is just this thing that's bigger than bigger than you, but it also centers around you. And it's it's pretty tricky to find. But I always say, if you want to start off with it, just think, what do I what do I want to be doing? And if you want to be helping young kids have better dreams oh my gosh I want to be like a storybook writer for young people you want to help people feel more confident when they're outside in their periods and how they feel oh my gosh I think I want to start designing clothing oh I want young people to feel empowered and I want them to feel like they can do anything in the world oh I'm going to start motivational speaking I'm going to start doing YouTube like you really have to start with a why which sounds so cliche but like what do you want to do? Why do you want to do? Oh, you want to help this group of people? Then we start to think, oh, how can you do that? So this, 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 this. And yeah. You start to, I don't know, you just go down this rabbit hole and before you know it, you're like, oh, I'm finding my purpose. There's step by steps in the book, you know, but this is just, this is, this is my train of thought and how I, how I discovered what mine yeah. is. And also another thing is it doesn't have to be something that's binding for the rest of your life, you know, and Michelle talks about it in her book, Becoming, you can be like for the next five to ten years, this is the thing that I want to pour my energy into. And then after that, you wake up one day like, oh man, but I just keep on thinking about those poor endangered elephants and people trying to like cut off their ivory. And then you find yourself like moving from this to this and it's okay. Like you're allowed to change what your purpose is, but to try and okay. find it, start with the why, start with your yeah. why. And I think as well, it's so important that it's someone like yourself who is so invested in growth and in self-development also is it willing to say that stuff also doesn't define you you know the the job that you do isn't you know who you are it's not your everything uh and that having purpose in life i think from what i've i've read from you is is really finding the thing that keeps you you know happy the thing that really sets that what you know like for me personally i love singing like it's a thing that i was trained in and when I get up a moment, I'm like, I'm just going to do that. And that's not my everything. It's my private yeah. thing. And it gives yeah. me like joy and it brings me purpose. It doesn't mean I have to share that with the world. It could be yeah. something that you just keep to yourself. But it's that thing that like you always go back to when you're like, I know this is going to bring me happiness and comfort. And I think we all need something like that. It doesn't have to be that you're suddenly setting up an empire and, you know, going after the money. It can just be something that you keep to yourself. But it's the thing that is really keeping that little flame inside of you alight I guess yeah I completely agree with you I think it's just always thinking we have one life on this earth and how do I make sure that I'm really living it like yeah. I'm really really living it and I have a good balance of everything everything needs a balance you know you don't have to have only doing this thing for the rest of my life because that's what I've committed to and that's it I'm not allowed to change yes you are yes you are mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. we grow and as we have new information our thoughts change our positions change and the things we want to do change and that is okay that is okay definitely i'm gonna wrap up i feel like we've been talking for so long and i'm gonna <laughs> give you my last few questions but i'd love to know um as someone who has achieved so much so young and i've probably said that about a hundred times but, <laughs> but you really have <laughs> um what does fulfillment look like to you what what makes what? you feel truly fulfilled and and do you think you'll ever reach a point where you're like, I'm done, I'm happy? Or do you think there's always that thing going to be inside of you that's like, I I just want more from myself, from life, from from what I, you know, what I'd like to achieve? I think what brings me fulfillment is is knowing that at that moment in time, I've done everything in my power to be doing what I want to be doing. Like 
I don't want to take my dreams to the grave, you know? Like, I think for me, it'll be a point of, okay, now I'm, I've stopped. I don't even know what that looks like, what, what stopping mm-hmm. means. But for me, it's like, oh, I've done everything I really, really wanted to do, you know? And that could be, oh, I finished my PhD. Or that could be, I finally climbed Kilimanjaro. Like, it just whatever's on your list, whatever's on my list of things that I really want to do. And I have different things I want to do at different ages, right? So it's like, oh, in my 20s, that's when I really want to focus on my education and becoming as educated as I possibly can. And that's through education of life, but also through actually going to do my degrees at university. Then you have 30, it's like, okay, I really want to travel the world and like go into a lot of philanthropic work. And then when I'm 40, I want to do this. I think it's different stage of life has different things of course if I do that PhD and I finish it that might shape what my 30s look like I might alter what my 30s look like and fulfillment for me is knowing that at that moment in time I'm doing what's making me happy I'm living for me and I'm also being able to help other people that combination is great like if there's a point where I feel like man I have to do this thing because that's what people want, but I don't really want to do it. Then something's going wrong there. Like I don't ever want to be in that place where I'm living for social media or only for my community or in a place where I'm completely just focused on me, 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 and my world only revolves around me. Like I, I want a healthy balance. So I think fulfillment for me looks like waking up and and feeling good. And you mentioned earlier that um i was working at one young world and i don't work at one young world anymore like i left oh sorry it's okay (laughs) sorry i left i quit after three months because i loved like what they stand for and i loved what i was supposed to be doing but when i was there i was like oh i really really like i really believe that this is what i wanted to be doing and then when i was there i was like oh actually it's not like it's not quite what i thought it was gonna be and that is okay as well like to get to something and get to your goal and be like I fantasized about this for so long and now I'm here. Not quite what I thought, you know, I'm not sticking to it because I said I'm going to do it, you know? Like I, mm. I'm happy to retract my statements. I'm happy to say, guys, and I had to go back. I had to go, because I said it on social media. I put it on LinkedIn. Obviously LinkedIn is job crazy. So when you announce a job mm. thing, I think you got like 500,000 views or something and it had like thousands of comments. People were resharing like, oh, yes, please go to work at One Young World. He might like, yeah, so uh I'm not there anymore, everyone. And it was like, I don't feel bad about doing that. So for me, fulfillment and happiness is always standing up for myself and always showing up and showing up for myself and not doing things I don't enjoy, you know? And I was waking up every day like, I've got to go to work again and I just not enjoying it. And and I took the star sign and I quit. So I think fulfillment and happiness for me is waking up doing things I really want to be doing. I think you just embodied everything that I try and do, which is you mentioned there about how it got 500,000 views and loads of people liked it. And part of you could be like, oh, well, all these people want me to do this. But if it's not right for you, it's not right for anyone. You know, like if your audience and I always try and remember this, like if my audience truly enjoy my content and appreciate who I am and what I put out in the world, they will want the best for me, regardless if that's what they think that they want me to do or what I actually do. And I think that's really amazing to hear you say, regardless of that stuff, it wasn't right. And I was able to kind of say, you know what? Not 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 where I want to be right now. I yeah. think that's really incredible. My final question, um, 
And I'm, you've touched on a few things already, but I'd love to know what the future holds for you. I know that's a massively cliche question. And obviously there's some things that I guess you're not going to be able to share because you don't know yeah. yet. But um, in terms of what you what you would like the future to hold for you, what are some of the things on your list? Yeah, like I, I'm like that. Like, of course, I had to talk about the NYU thing now because it happened. But I typically like those things. I'm just like, this makes myself until I know yeah. I'm out with it. And I know. So there's some things that I'm like, in the works, I'm like, I really hope that can happen. But they're still like private stuff. But the things that I'm publicly I'm happy to talk and share about is I really, really, really want to travel and to like go and do work in different schools around the world. Like I hope that Empower by B can get to a space where we are able to take it global. Like I really love what we're doing there and being able to empower students around the world and bridge that gap between academic ability and self-belief because it's something that I really, really had. I loved learning, but I just didn't have people saying you can do it at school, right? So I want to work in that space. I hope that empowerment can become as important as someone's grades in a school. I hope that schools start to like factor into their curriculums. Like, huh, even if they have the A star, does this student believe that they can do it? And some students... Do they have the grades, but they don't do anything with them because they just like, oh, well, da, 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 da. so I really want to work in that space in the next five years. I'd love to become like either one of the biggest empowerment coaches in the world or something like this, you know? And then on a personal level, I would love, I, that PhD is happening. I'm telling you all now, I don't know how, when or what, <laughs> but I really want it. Like I want it so, so bad. So hopefully like, three to five years I'll be Dr. V oh my god I mean the sky really is the limit for you there is so much to come and I feel so excited for what the future holds um I'm really really grateful for your time today I know you're super busy so like this conversation has been amazing and thank you for sharing so much with me and with us and I just thought you might be able to share at the end places that people can find you online and also the name of your book if people would like to get that yeah of course so I'm V Kativu everywhere um, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, it's all V-E-E-K-A-T-I-V-H-U. And my book is called Empowered, written by V Kativu, which gets confusing because I run Empowered by V and obviously <laughs> the book is Empowered by V Kativu. So it's very confusing, but um, everything is just either Empowered or V Kativu. You'll find me. Perfect. Thank you so much. V, have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.